Hey guys, Matt here at Sweat Elite. Very happy to announce that we're relaunching the podcast. Um, if for those of you that have followed us for a little while, we did four or five episodes uh, about a year ago now that were quite popular. There, were, there was quite a lot of downloads. I think we had about a hundred thousand downloads of those episodes, but we um, in total that is. But we didn't have the time and resources to focus on the podcast at that point in time. Um, we really needed to focus on growing the business in the article subscription format and the books. So we decided to to drop it for a little while, but we now have the resources to focus again on it. Um, so we've got lots of very exciting guests coming up very soon. And this podcast today is an interesting one about the Nike Zoom Vaporflies. I talk with one of Germany's top marathon runners, Philip Barr, all about it. He's very knowledgeable in this space, even though he is an Adidas runner. Um, we speak a little bit about Philip's training lately and his experiences um, over the last couple of years with with transitioning to the marathon. He's had a bit of bad luck this year with injury and illness, but uh, so he's a 216 marathon runner. Uh, and I do apologize in advance for the relatively average audio quality. Um, I myself am traveling at the moment. I was actually just at Ineos Challenge, which was in Vienna, which was obviously an, an amazing um, event to be at. Uh, so I'm doing this basically through my, my phone's audio, uh, sorry, voice recorder. Um, so whilst it's, it's, it's decent, it's not amazing. Um, but uh, we actually have an episode coming up uh, sometime in the next week all about that experience at Ineos. Um, myself and uh, another uh, helper at Sweat Elite um, from, from Finland, he and I ran with a pacer the following day. And we got a lot of inside information there as well. So we'll be releasing that podcast in about a week's time. But uh, this podcast today is all about the Nike Zoom Vaporflies. And before we go into that pod, uh, podcast episode, um, I would like to just mention the Kenya running experience happening in January uh, 2020. So in, what is it, two and a half months time now. Uh, there's still a few spots left. Um, we can take about four or five more. Uh, it'll be our fourth camp to Kenya and the first three have been very good. I feel like they're getting a little bit better as we sort of get better at it. Um, the last camp was in September and we spent some time with some top athletes and coaches uh, like um, Renato Canova. Uh, we met Jeffrey Camelroar uh, and quite a few other really um, good athletes and coaches from Kenya. So we've got a few very good guests lined up for the trip in January as well. So if you're interested in that, I'll put the link in the, the show notes and you can also find it on our website under the experiences tab. Uh, thank you very much to everyone that has listened to the earlier podcasts. Um, we really hope you enjoy these next ones coming up soon. So how the model works is we release a full podcast of about 60, 90 minutes. Uh, about the first half is uh, anyone can listen to on iTunes or the the Android, um, I forget the names, uh, apps, I should know that. Um, and the full versions are available to subscribers. So to subscribers, only one US dollar a week, um, build in three-month increments. It's, it's very cheap for, for most from the West, at least. And um, if, you are, if you do subscribe, you have access to all of the articles in there as well, which is over 450 now. So you can access the full version of the podcast, which you can download, listen to what you run or commute. And you can also access all those articles. So quite a lot of value there. Uh, so that's about it for me. Um, next up will be the podcast episode I recorded a few days before Ineos Challenge in Berlin when I was there visiting Philip Barr. And we talk all about the Nike Vapor Plies. Hope you enjoy. Okay, I'm here in uh, Berlin with Philip Barr, uh, sitting in his uh, apartment actually in uh, West Berlin. And it's only a week and a half after the Berlin Marathon. 
and uh, Berl, uh, I guess, Philip had planned to do the Berlin Marathon. Um, unfortunately, he uh, suffered an injury leading up to the event. And I guess before we can talk about Berlin, we'll quickly talk about um, how you've been going over the last year. You've had a, a lot of bad luck. Um, and for those that are listening, I guess if you've listened to the podcast previously, this Philip was um, was featured as one of our first guests about a year and a half ago now. Um, so thanks again for, for joining for the second time on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so you ran 2.16 a few years ago now. Uh, you were in very good shape earlier on this year. And then I guess we can talk uh, for a minute or two now about how your year has been because you've had a lot of bad luck. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I ran uh, 2.16 last year. It's kind of what we talked about on the podcast yeah. at my debut marathon in, in Dusseldorf last year. And um, that was still working full time at the time. So, uh, you know, I was like basically riding the, the high horse and I was I was pretty excited. Basically, a few doors opened up. I ran for Germany at the European Cup a few months later here in Berlin. We were actually hosting it at the time. Uh, embedded in the European Championship and so after that a few doors opened up and I was actually able to uh, go fully professional yeah. after that the um, and so, so when was that exactly well the the chance kind of came up around July August September at the time we were starting first talks and then officially I started running professionally basically January 1st after yeah. I'd quit my job I had to switch clubs and so forth yeah so my new club here is called the um, Sport Club um, Charlottenburg, which is actually where I live. Also, the district yes. here in the in the town, and we're supported by the uh, SCC Events uh, GmbH, which is basically the company that hosts the Berlin Marathon. Yeah. So we have a large corporate sponsor, I guess, if you want to call it that. And they started a running team here with a very successful coach, Dieter Hogan, who has coached um, major marathon winners in the past. Um, I think in total the number is um, 16 major marathon wins. Jeez. So yeah, he definitely knows what he's doing and uh, he became a new coach. So we started up. Then obviously uh, things kind of started a little rough because all of a sudden in December I picked up an injury. We started with a new training program and we were doing some jump exercises and I felt some pain in my groin. And that's basically <laughs> how uh, you would call it uh, shit hit the fan at the time. I, yeah. I was injured. For a while, but it was one of those like, okay, I set out for a few days, could train again, then it started back up, could train again, you know, back and forth. This lingered around for about six to eight weeks. Um, then it got manageable to a point where I could train somewhat normally, but at the time I, I was in, in New Zealand in a training camp, so mm. not too far to where you're from. And that was at the start of this year. Exactly. Yeah, January, that was yeah. January, February. Because, of course, I was following you through this time, but just so mm -hmm. listeners can know, just to have a rough timeline. Yeah. So that was about nine months ago now. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So right at the start of my full professional career yes. at the time. And so we were in New Zealand, and I was training with really strong training partners, among them uh, Valentin Feil, an Austrian runner who later would run 212 at the Vienna City Marathon. Yep. And then... Um, Ikigami Hideyuki, a Japanese runner who has run 63 flat and 213 in the marathon, also was in prime shame at the time. And I was just chasing after these guys, you know, trying to find shape somewhere. And that kind of led to the point where just nothing was working, literally. Mm. You know, when you just completely forget about what's actually good for you and you just like chase after the fast kids. Because I've been training basically alone for the past two and a half years at the time. 
And so you're just used to listening to yourself. You do whatever you want, mm-hmm. what feels good. And you chase after fast kids. Well, needless to say, Vienna was an absolute disaster. Vienna and, Marathon. Yeah. And that was in? That was in April. April. So um, I was nowhere mentally or physically prepared. I kept telling myself I was um, just because, you know, you're a professional runner now. You're supposed to run a marathon now. You know, everybody's looking at you. I've... But you kind of knew deep down that you weren't or you figured that out later? Um, I think deep down I knew I just didn't want to admit it. Yes. Um, in retrospect, I should, in no scenario in this world, should have told the line at, at the run because um, I was neither 100% pain-free uh, training had been hit or miss. Some days were amazing. Other days were absolute catastrophe where I couldn't hit three flat in a, in one K reps. Yeah. Um, that's not far off your race pace. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're looking at running about like three twelves or so three tens per that's kilometer. The goal, yeah. That's the goal pace. Yeah. Cause I guess you set out to run to 13. Yeah. 13, 14, 14 yeah. even the 15 would have been okay. You know, my PB is two sixteen. So at this point you can say, you know, any improvement is, is always a step in the right direction. Yes. Um, yeah, I ended up running 218, basically 15 kilometers into the race. I absolutely knew I had no chance at hitting my goal. Oh, that's early. It wasn't, <laughs> I, I never even had the chance to hit the wall because it just felt terrible from the beginning. Right. Um, the only thing that actually kept me in the race was, um, knowing that my wife was also running and we entered some sort of like a couples challenge with my friend. And training partner Valentin and his wife. So we were like trying to battle it out who had the fastest combined time. Yeah. And knowing that my <laughs> wife was in the race, uh, battling Good. her way through her first marathon of a six week uh, speed prep. Yeah. Basically, I knew if I would have dropped out, I wouldn't have heard the end of it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I figured I'm just going to finish and basically, you know, just bring it home. It was 218, so it's a disaster. So fast forward. I take a little break, keep training, um, things are starting to click fairly well, but then you get into this moment, you know, before that, everything has been going amazing for me for the past two years or so. I've been basically running PB after PB. 2017, 2018. Exactly. Yeah. 2017, 2018, we're, go- we're going extremely well. And <clears throat> yeah, I start training again. Things, things are going better, but then, you know, you start to question things. Okay, why did I get injured? Mm-hmm. Um, I was still not 100% healed. Like I, I was still, my hip was getting sore after certain workouts and this and that. Yep. So we start preparing for Berlin and then, um, you know, shape is coming along okay, but the race results were absolutely like terrible. I mean, there were, I, I was, I, I ran a 10K tempo run in practice in 3010. Um, with my teammate Valentin running about 29.40. We like to do every three or four weeks some really fast like 10k tempo just to see basically where the shape is at, really yeah. push the envelope a little bit. And um, that was going well. And then a few weeks a few weeks later, uh, I, I ended up running a 10k race on the road in 30.40. I was like, what the yeah, heck's that's... going on? Yeah, We're running um, few weeks after that we were doing a half marathon and about 10 kilometers in i was hitting about 10k like at not even a great pace like 31 minutes or so i was completely spent i was like what the heck's going on like i'm completely out of it well then i sit down with my coach basically uh, long story short i i'm pretty sure at, at some point um you know i again trained too hard in the wrong situations whatever mm-hmm. something you might want to call it overtraining, but I wouldn't really refer to it as that because I wasn't at a point yet where I had like 
insomnia, you know, I wasn't eating right. So that wasn't the case. Because if you're really in deep overtraining, then you get those kind of issues. Yes. Yeah, you get like somewhat like de depressed and those yes. and that. I, I didn't have that. But just I couldn't put my training into a racing performance. Right. So that's probably like stage one overtraining, if you want to call that. Yeah. And so after that, you know, I sit down with my coach. We're trying to make adjustments, basically. You know, typical things, uh, run more by feel, let the guys go if you, if you feel like it's going too hard, those kind of things. And of course, we're four weeks out of Berlin Marathon now. I do, I do a speed change workout, you know, 2K fast, 1K a little slower, but still fast, whatever. All of a sudden, snap in, in my calf. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew at the moment, it was like, ah, oh, crap, it's not good. Yeah. So then we saw doctors and was like, okay, let's try to fix this quickly. Of course, nothing ever yeah. is a quick fix. And it took about two weeks. And at the time, I was... You know, I was already certain Berlin Marathon is over for me. Yeah. So, which is devastating because it's your home marathon. Exactly. You know, I guess two years ago when you ran two sixteen or a year and a half roughly ago, you were thinking mm -hmm. Berlin twenty nineteen is going to be where I run really quick. Yeah. So exactly, the course goes basically right by my house. You yeah. Know? Like know. this, this is the event in running here in this town, and yeah. my support crew basically is the crew that organizes the whole shebang. Yes. So yeah, everything was geared towards this race, and um, of course, all eyes are looking at you too. You know, I'm supported yeah. by by um, Adidas, fortunately now, um, great company. So they really have my back. But then, of course, you know, you have to answer these questions like, yeah. "What's going on, man? Like, you're not working anymore. You sh should be getting better." And these questions were coming not only from supporters, uh, but also from fans and such. You mm. know, and and also from myself. Yes. So yeah, that's a little interesting. But then. Can I just point out quickly that it's funny how like some people will be listening thinking 218, just rewinding back to Vienna, it being a terrible run. You know, even myself, I actually ran Berlin. I don't want to talk about me for longer than 10 seconds, but I ran the Berlin Marathon in 235 and that was a PV for me. So to have a shocking run and run 218 is uh, to some extent an interesting mental position to be in because of course you had such high expectations, but it's still a very fast time. Um, sorry, I just wanted to put that in there. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand. It, it's really here complaining on a very high level. Yes, yes. You know, that's you know we are moving at a very high level. Yeah, here, so of course. Well, when you when you drop everything and you go professional, exactly, your expectations yeah. go really high. Exactly. Yeah. And um, but again, the Berlin Marathon didn't disappoint. Um, it it was in retrospect still very interesting mm. to see the event um, firsthand and and to be here not as a runner but as in like a fan plus being in, in the whole organization, you know, being involved in there and just seeing everything that was happening, seeing these top guys run these amazing times. And it definitely motivated me and, and, um, basically, you know, it keeps you going to, for sure to see that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. To see these crazy fast times. Being yeah. Ran. I mean, that was just ridiculous this year, which is, which is, I mean, I guess you, you guys heard in the introduction, the, the, I wanted to briefly talk about Philip's last, um, you know, year or so, but then I guess one of the main points we want to talk about here is is the the, the debate about the vapor flies, the night vapor flies, and we were both here, Philip, watching myself running, although I was too far behind to really notice much. But uh, Bikili won in a in a in the second fastest time ever of two hundred one forty one in the vapor fly next percents, and um, we had a very interesting chat yesterday uh, about this next these uh, vapor fly range and. What we really wanted to talk about today for a little while is, um, is I guess it's interesting from Phil's point of view because he's sponsored by Adidas, so he's unable to wear them. 
Um, but you know, Philip's, you know, you're, you you study a lot and, and read a lot about um, different topics, in particular with running, and you noticed a few very interesting write-ups about um, a study in particular to do with uh, Strava and about how they analysed um, the, the the improvements people have been having after wearing the vapor flies, like the true true raw data of how much quicker people are running. Um, so I think we should start to talk a little bit about that because people will be super interested. Um, so I guess we could start on that note, um, mm-hmm. the New York Times article about the Strava study, which you read, uh, I briefly read as well. So yeah, yeah tell us a bit, bit about that. So basically what they did is <clears throat> they analyzed the finisher times and I cannot remember in detail how, like, how big the field was that they looked at, but they looked at, at the big marathons and checked basically how much the times improved compared to previous marathons of people that basically switched to vaporflies. Yep. And um, if I remember cor- correctly, the, um, the time improvement, and we're not talking here about, because Nike themselves, they referred to improved running efficiency with their 4%. That was the original number. But um, now with the Strava analysis, they actually analyze time improvements measured in percent. Yes. So Because in Strava, you can... I use Strava. You, you, you have used Strava in the past. Mm-hmm. You can put what shoes you're wearing in each run. Now, I don't actually do that. I've never... To be honest, I've just never been bothered. But, it, it, but I do notice people doing runs and you can actually put it... So that's yeah. how they've got the data. Exactly. So, yeah, carry on. And so they notice that once people switched to Vaporflies, their marathon performances actually improved by, on average, 1.2%, which is huge because, you know, measured on, on raw time, um, I know you've done the math. So, like, let's say for a 2.30 to 3-hour marathon runner, how much is that exactly, or roughly? It's about three minutes, I mean, two and a half. I mean, it's, that's huge. Appro- approximately, if my math's correctly. Well, I mean, 120 minutes is two hours. Mm-hmm. 1.2% of that is about... Um, oh, sorry, no, I'm wrong. It, it's sorry, it's closer to two minutes. Mm-hmm. But even still, that's yeah. quite a margin. That's that's quite yeah. a bit. Can you imagine? You you are basically an ambitious runner. Yeah. You're training uh, to break three hours for yeah. the first time, and it's a massive difference to run two fifty nine or three hundred one. Yeah. And yeah. if you could do the two fifty nine just by investing two hundred fifty bucks in a shoe, yeah. I'm pretty sure nine out of ten people would definitely make that investment. Mm-hmm. And we're not only looking here at the sub-elite runners, obviously, because what we've also talked about, running is the only sport where hobby runners or anybody can directly compete with the elites. And so with that comes also the access to the same equipment that the elites have. So anybody can go into a store nowadays. The first Vaporflies were very limited because they were just sold out everywhere. Four percent? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I actually heard from a Nike source that they wanted to sell more of them, but they just didn't have more access to the Zoom X at the time, right. which is the cushioning material that they use, the really foamy, spongy stuff. But the game has changed now. But the game has changed now. They have access to it, and Berlin is flooded with Vaporflies, yep. 4%, next percents. We have subway stations here that were covered in, uh, basically, in advertisements. advertisements. Yeah. I arrived in Berlin uh, nine days before Berlin Marathon, mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and I noticed all around Berlin, metro stations and so on, they were promoting it. And I thought, this is strange because I thought, although this was just an assumption I came up with myself, I thought they were very limited. But yeah. I only had that assumption because the 4% were. Yeah. But it turns out I was wrong. Yeah. And they're not really very limited because when you go to the Nike stores here, they're everywhere. And remember the last time when uh, you saw a Nike victory spike on your local subway station? I mean, that has never happened. And the victory, uh, the Vaporfly is an absolute racing machine. So... 
what is the strategy behind marketing a racing shoe that heavily to the overall crowd? Yes. And, and it works because you see people in the five-hour ranks and the four-hour ranks uh, wearing vaporflies yeah. because they are convinced that this will make them faster by investing uh, 250 bucks. And yeah. this is just, I guess, you know, human nature that if we can get a little shortcut yeah. and it's legal to take the shortcut, yes. then we're going to do it if we can afford it and have access to it. Very interesting. And yeah, we spoke a bit at length about this. We ended up talking for almost an hour about this yesterday. Um, it must be a little frustrating for, I mean, Adidas, incredible brand. I'm not just saying that because you're sitting in front of me. I know people that work with Adidas, you know, but for the, you know, it, it is a little bit challenging for someone like yourself when you know that this technology is ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you even spoke a bit, we, we won't say any names, but you even spoke about yesterday people that were sponsored by other brands. I'm not saying Adidas, I'm saying like New Balance, you know, not Nike, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that tried to wear them painted and they lost their sponsorships. Yeah. Um, this has, yeah. you know, it, it, must be, it must be a bit of a challenge. It has become a common issue and, and a lot of athletes have actually, yeah, that are sponsored by other brands have actually resulted in just wearing vaporflies and yeah. just, yeah, coloring them and or spray painting them or whatever. And this is not Adidas athletes only, it's New Balance athletes or whatever, like you mentioned. And, Basically, all the other brands are playing catch up right now. As you yeah. said, um, you know, Adidas has probably had one of the better marathon shoes in the past. The Adios yeah. is, is the shoe that um, Haile and, and, and Macau and Kipsang and all these guys ran incredibly fast times mm. in. And it might have been the shoe to go for a while, but it wasn't by such a large margin. And yeah. people were not saying, like, this is the shoe. People were saying, this is one of the shoes. Yeah. And, you know, you could pick among others. But right now, if you ask any person who really tries to run at an ambitious level and who's not sponsored, they're basically always going to tell you, okay, you know, Vaporfly or, or nothing else. Yeah. That's it. And um, as, a, as an athlete who's, you know, proudly sponsored by Adidas, of course, I'm really, really hoping that um, Adidas and, and the other brands also are going to close this gap and ho- hopefully not only make a copy but hopefully make the next big thing. Yes. But the question is, what is the next big thing? Well, that could lead us to the next topic about, it looks like Nike haven't stopped with the next percents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's, a, there's a few leak, there's a few indicators out there that show that they're, they're going ahead with another shoe that could be, again, a lot better. Yeah. With, with, uh, now, I'm not, I'm not very good with the technicalities of, of footwear, but, you know, we both read an article earlier today in preparing for this chat that the new one, which doesn't have a name yet, there's a rumor that it could be called the Alpha, Alpha, Fly. Alpha Fly, but who knows if that's actually true, oh. that has a number of different plates and cushions in the forefront now, which is almost like a springboard, which yeah. is... So, so it, has, it has become a thing that now, you know, this massive hype has, has basically started and it has become a thing that there's, especially on, for example, Instagram, there's pages that specialize on, yes. on prototypes of shoes and getting pictures of those. Yeah. There's people who are in, in camps in Kenya who are basically taking secret photos of shoes and leaking those into the internet. Now the question is, do these brands like Nike, Adidas and such really care or is that all a marketing strategy? I mean, no one really knows. 
but they've taken pictures of these ridiculous looking shoes and the funny thing is even my dad who has no idea about running footwear or maybe even running in general saw a picture of Bikili finishing the Berlin Marathon and said well amazing performance but like he looked stupid with his shoes what's yeah. going on with that yeah they had the next percent well. yeah they were yeah. the next percent and now they're coming out with these new shoes and people have actually dug into um in, into what, what was it called the institution the, yeah in, into the uh, u.s patent patent, patent office patent so office. it's easy just it's, it's sometimes kind of not easy but it's easy to see uh, you can you can get hints or clues as to what's coming out with the company. So Apple, mm. for example, if you look back even before they launched the iPhone, there was a number of interesting patents a year or two before that. Uh-huh. And Nike are doing the same thing now with 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 lodging patents to do with this new uh, this new triple plate cushion, whatever it's exactly. called. <laughs> we've, we've seen pictures of the shoe, and everybody was like, "Okay, this looks extremely strange." And yeah. now how they how they're basically setting it up is that they have some sort of cushion pillow no one knows it's going to be air filled liquid filled or if it's going to have some sort of like springs in it or whatever Mm. and um, so we got four of those then we got three not just one but three carbon plates that are in between those cushions and then we got the zoomax material and now the forefoot and the heel uh, unit are not going to be connected anymore so it's basically going to look like yeah i don't know i don't even know what to compare it to it's it's, it kind of looks like an like an iron cut in half. Yeah. And um, that's a really funny looking thing. It and is funny. Yeah, it's very strange. It, it looks heavy when you look at it, but of course it's not going to yeah. be heavy. But and, and the big idea is now, um, what is the shoe really going to do? You know, where where's the line? Where are we going to go from here? On? Mm. Because at, at what point is it still the athlete doing, you know, the performance and where is it the shoe? Because I've actually seen a lot of papers and a lot of people arguing that Bikili's performance and Kipchoge's performance actually from a physiological standpoint are not improvements of the former records. That's the question I was trying to get back to at some point when we when we finished talking about this is is has have these runners really improved? Or yeah. is it just the shoes? Strava's study or New York Times study of Strava is one point two percent difference, which is about one and a half to two minutes. That's how much the world record has come down mm-hmm. since yeah. these Vaporfly ranges come out. So it, it it's a um, of course we're not coming to any we don't we don't know the true answer here but you have to ask the question is is it is Kipchoge and Bikili actually are they actually fitter than yeah. than Kimeto? so Dennis Kimeto, from what I think I could be wrong I think he's got the fastest time ever without these vapor flies yeah two hundred two fifty seven yeah Berlin yeah. two thousand and fourteen I think just standard so uh, have they improved since then yeah. <laughs> that's that's the big question. And there's there's various records that have been improved. I mean, yes. uh, Jeffrey Cumberall just uh, ran a half marathon world record that would also fall right into this category um, of of logical improvements. And um, Bikili ran two or three oh three, I think, three years ago in Berlin, and now he improved by yeah, about a minute twenty seconds, which again would fall exactly into that category. Yep. And uh, me personally, I actually did run my two sixteen back then in Vaporfly four percent. Yeah, and um, I mean, were they the ones you gave to me afterwards? Um, afterwards, now I ran. Different I pair. ran in, in, in Adios, yeah, in in Vienna. Oh, sorry, the pair that you gave to me last year, though, is that the? That was a new pair that I gave. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. I had only won those for like one training run, and then, okay, that's and then right. you took off my hands. Yeah, no, the two sixteen ones. Oh, they were garbage by then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but so the question is, you know, are they are they really improvements or 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 is it just basically a technological? It's a, it's a sad thought. 
really, because there is all this uh, hype around um, Kipchoge completely lifting the game of running. And exactly, very yeah. well could be the shoes. I don't know. I hope it's not true, but uh, you have to you have to think yeah. that that study that you told me about yesterday of Strava and the results is is really interesting because that's that's raw yeah. raw data. There's no speculation there. It's like. Of course, we, we have to find out how large that pool was. If it was 10 people, question marks, is that enough? But if it was thousands of people... Or, this, this drama study? Yeah. That was definitely rather thousands. Thousands. Than tens. Well, yeah. yeah. It was, they just basically took the whole, the whole Strava game. I think they looked at the majors like Chicago and New York. Yeah. And um, yeah, th- that, was, that was definitely a very large pool. And another thing also that you can look at un- until this point, until basically Kipchoge showed up, or basically right now, if you look at who wins the majors, it's almost exclusively um, Nike athletes. Mm. Last year, Yuki Kawauchi in a freak accident in Boston was the only person who was a non-Nike athlete who won a major. Mm. And in years prior to that, it was mainly um, either Adidas athletes yeah. or it was basically, you know, could be anybody. Mm. And now it has just become such a clear matter, basically... That is sorry. I'm just going to take my cat off the table. The <laughs> <laughs> cat's just roaming, roaming around the uh, the table right now. <laughs> that is just. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you want to know more, more about my cat, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, a good reason to follow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. The question is: Is it really the shoes? Do they have signed better athletes? Is Kipchoge really the marathon goat? I mean, he's undefeated, yes. So that kind of makes him. Yeah, he's kiss. You can't argue with his consistency. He's, he's incredibly. Consistent, yeah. you know, but people mo- mainly focus on the, the times he's yeah. running. And now, yeah, the, the question really is, yeah, is it him? Is it the shoes? Um, and again, yeah, where are we going next? Yeah, it's uh, it's a very interesting topic because everyone that I know that has, I mean, I wore the four percents at Berlin. Now, I'm not a very good uh, um, person to put in the study because I'm very new to the longer distances. So I never, I actually started with the 4%. I never, okay. never really ran anything before with anything else. But but I have a number of friends that have obviously been running for, for, for a much longer period of time. And one good friend of mine in particular, Aki Numala from, from Finland, he, he's a 217 um, runner. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he hasn't explicitly said that these shoes have, have dropped his time from 219, 220 down to 217. Right. But he does believe they are very good. And he does... He, he he's worn he's transitioned from I don't know, I don't know what he wore before four percent I'm assuming like streaks uh, to four percent for a year and a half uh, that's when I think he lowered his time to under two twenty mm-hmm. it could have been under two nineteen and then um, he's been rolling down to two seventeen now and he he really likes the next percent I have I have a very good um, first hand experience for from a friend of mine he just recently ran two sixteen um, at the Berlin Marathon. Um, Simon Stütze here now he's also a pretty pretty solid uh, track runner and he actually told me that he did a workout I forgot how many it was exactly six or seven times 2k something like that mm. and he switched shoes mid-workout from normal flats to vapor flies so it was halfway through his workout you know he should have been fairly tired at the time he switches the shoes ends up in the last reps going faster at a lower heart rate than he did in the other flats at the beginning of the workout Right. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous if you think about it. And another thing that I have, my, my training partner, Valentin, he's a Nike-sponsored athlete. So, of course, he wears the, in the next percent. So, whenever Valentin and I do a track workout on, on the track, I, I run anything in, in, in spikes as soon as I step on the track. Even if we're doing reps in, like, three-minute pace. I always wear spikes. It doesn't okay. matter how long the workout. I just 
page running on the on the track in flats. I don't know why. So I put spikes on, and he runs in flats, of course, because he feels more comfortable in it. And um, so then, you know, he, he has trouble keeping up when you know when you really squeeze the pace and like because you know I have some leftover speed from my mid distance days. So like when I really try to go fast, you know, I I can I can usually drop him or keep up with him fairly easily in those shorter things. Then we did like one or two weeks later, we did a fart leg on the road. I'm wearing normal flats. He's wearing his uh, next percents at the time. I think he just got them. That was the first day he actually got them. And um, we're doing like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, one minute bursts, basically this short reps. And I can't keep up with him. Like on a, on a speed level, of course he has better endurance. He's a 212 marathon guy, you know, but we're not doing a 30K or 40K run right here. Yeah. We're doing 30 second repetitions and I cannot keep up with him. Like as hard as I try, I cannot keep up with him. I can not only, it's not that I'm trying to beat him, I'm just trying to keep up. Will we see the next percents in the 800 meters soon? <laughs> have we checked the feet of the guy of the guys now running at, at the world world champs because i know across the board everybody's running in a new prototype yes which is pretty funny because just last year the iwf um or i think they call themselves world athletics now they pa- they passed the law i don't know if you want to call it a law because laws are usually enforced a rule, uh, a rule i guess um that runners or athletes can only wear or or basically um, are only allowed to wear in competition in international competition um, shoes that are available or reasonable they coined it reasonably available to the general population right which a prototype obviously isn't and so other athletes that were getting beat there basically you know could argue okay was it the shoe because they also looked funny you know they had some some sort of cushioning in there they had a spring in there they had the new material in there and across the board this year, I just saw um, a statistic yesterday. This was the world championship with the strongest performances in history of world championships. And if you look at the times that were being ran, Donovan Brazier runs 142 basically from the front. I mean, he chased the, uh, what was it, Puerto, uh, from Puerto Rico, yeah. chased the guy down for a while. But after that, you know, it was all him. Yeah. Then the 1500 was ridiculously fast with yes. uh, Timothy Cherry soloing two, uh, 329. Yeah. Then uh, we had the 5K at a world championship won in 12.58 mm. and the 10K finished in 26.48. 26, yeah. I mean, just think about it. Those I, are, I think you pointed out, sorry. Yeah. If, if that was a diamond lead meet, everybody would say, this is a ridiculous meet. Those were world champs. We're used to people, Centrovitz winning in 3.50 at the Olympics. Yeah. And now these people are just running stupid fast times. And the same goes for the girls. Yeah, I was about to say that. The women's were probably mm-hmm. even more impressive. In the women's time, Sifan Hassan finishes a 10K with a 359-1500. I mean, just think about it. Mm. In in my prime shape, I, I can't even think about finishing a 10K in a 359-1500. Yeah. And she wasn't running 33 minutes. She was running like 30-17, I think, yeah. was the winning time. Yeah. I mean, that's stupid fast. This is unheard of. Normally at World Champs, you would win a medal with a 359 standing alone. Yes. And now she's running it at the end of a 10,000 meter race. Just yeah. think about it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what's what's the reason for that? Are we really getting so much better in training? But then all the records should be improved too. The yeah. 800 world record has stood since Rudisha. The 1500 has stand till Algarouge. Um, 5K, 10K have stood since... Be on the women's nothing much has happened since 
Dibaba broke it a few years back. And now Sifan Hassan uh, solos 351 from, <laughs> from running on pure hate, as she coined it in her, in her interview afterwards. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting time because it's pretty clear to people that are watching closely that these uh, this Nike range of shoes and the... Uh, what are the spikes called? No one knows because it's a prototype. <laughs> okay. The, uh, the, and, and the rule that changed was that they can use them now. No, cannot. They cannot. So so why were they allowed at the World Champs? That's the big question. Right. Okay. That's understood. the big question. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the big question. Because on the same topic, uh, there was a thread I read somewhere online that said, oh, Kipchoge uh, can use whatever he wants in the Ineos Challenge because mm-hmm. the Ineos Challenge isn't following the rules mm-hmm. of the World Athletics. Mm-hmm. They, they never, they've never, they've, and they've stated that clearly that they don't. They're just trying to break the two-hour marathon. Yeah. And whereas in the in the majors, you you should, if you're following the rules, you should yeah. not be able to wear a pair that's not available. So, yeah. but right now yeah. everybody is basically just doing whatever they want. It's I guess a gray zone. No one is enforcing it, yeah. so no one really cares about it. And and you pointed out something really interesting when we talked about this topic yesterday. Now, another question is, does the shoe actually make you faster or does it make running feel better and therefore you also get a psychological advantage? That's Because that's a big topic. I remember when someone told me the first time that um, I should um, drink two or three uh, espressi before I run a race or hard workout because, uh, you know, co- gives you... Coffees, espressos. Yeah. Yeah. Gives you like a, a caffeine kick. Yes. I was like, mm, never heard of it. Let's try it. And then I stepped on the track and running felt amazing. And then looked, I looked a bit at a study and that said, okay, basically caffeine doesn't make you a better runner, but it makes your perceived effort less. Yes. So you're running at the same pace, you're running the same distance, the same things are happening in your body, but it feels easier. Yes. So, you know, basically what does a good performance in running always come down to? The mental game. Yeah. So if you're actually running at a pace and it feels easier than normal, I mean, it's, you're probably going to run better than normal. Yes. And the same goes for these shoes. When I first put on the Vaporflies last year, it was, it was, yeah, I remember. I just had gotten off work. I was doing a workout all by myself. I had to do it on a one mile straightaway in the middle of the city, which is the, the street of um, 17th June, which is like a large street. The one that goes from the Brandenburg Gate to the Victory Column. Mm-hmm. It's also like, kilometer 40 to 41.6 of the building method something yes. like that i was running up and down there. remember it very well yeah I, bet most of <laughs> I was running up and down there because that was the only ice-free part of the city at the time right. and i was wearing the vapor flies for the first time you know i should have had a terrible day it was dark it was snowing uh, but i was wearing the shoes and i was having basically the day of my life like running felt great i had an amazing workout and i just had so much fun and it was like i i didn't want to believe the hype but these things are the real deal. And, you know, if you're running a race and you know that the kicks you're wearing are better than the guys who's standing next to you, mm-hmm. you know, that helps. It helps. Absolutely. And when, so, so you, uh, November last year, you had a pair of Vaporfly 4% that you wore once in training and you, and you, you gave them to me. And then I wore them in a 10k race and i and the, for the, the first time i wore them this 10k race wasn't overly important i mean I, i'm just sort of a uh, i guess a recreational runner still now so i'm not i'm not trying to qualify for anything but the 10k uh, the day before the 10k race 
um, I went for a run in them and I, and I felt just like you just described. I was like, oh my goodness, this is, I feel amazing. I feel so good. And in the 10K race, I ran a minute PB. I ran, I ran 31, uh, 46, um, which was a minute better than my best. And I just remember vividly in the first couple of kilometers thinking, this feels so easy. Right. Uh, I feel like I'm just bouncing along. This is the 4%, by the way, not the vapor, not the next percent. Yeah, or the um, alpha fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, know, I don't want to know how the alpha fly feels like. And again, Alpha Fly is just a, a name that was thrown out there. We're not sure if that's actually what it's called. But um, yeah, you, you're right. I, I, I don't know the answer, but I have a feeling it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a mental um, thing, mm-hmm. I think for sure. That's with anything. Yeah, which we're going to record a second podcast, which will be released after this, a, a lot more about the mental game of training and racing, which is um, going to be a good listen. But uh, I think that... It's definitely true. It does help mentally, but you've got to think that those springs yeah. help physically as well. So I think it's a bit of both. Absolutely. And, um, you know, on, on popular um, discussion forum, uh, Let's Run, they have coined the term cheetah flies, which a lot of people like to use. Yeah. Um, so the question is really, are, is it now, is it cheating wearing those shoes? One of my good friends, uh, Sebastian Einwand, 250 marathoner from Germany, he wore the shoes for the first time, posted a picture on uh, on Strava and po- and basically just wrote wearing these shoes is cheating. I mean, he wore them because everybody is it's allowed. But then you know, kind of that's what they told the athletes back in in East Germany. Everybody's doing it. Yeah, you can do it. It's fine. Yeah. Now, is it cheating wearing those shoes? Is it still you running, or is it the shoes running? Where do you draw the line? What's happening next? Like these new shoes now with four airports and three carbon springs. I mean. Is it just going to be a technological race? Are we going to invest like 5,000 bucks in a running shoes in, in a few years just because they have major springs in there and whatever, Titan plate and mm. who knows what? People are so competitive. Of course, not everyone, but many runners are that they would pay $1,000 to improve their time by 100%. a few minutes. Yeah, 100%. I know many people in that boat. <laughs> so yeah. it's interesting. At first, that, that question of where does the line, is the line drawn, you know, where my thinking goes there is, well, it's Nike here, so surely they're not investing hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars in a shoe that may be banned. But then saying that, you brought up an interesting topic, just a point just before we started recording, is that this is a very similar scenario to the swimming phase in the early 2000s when the speed suits came out. I think the phase lasted about two years, mm-hmm. and that was Speedo. Yeah, Speedo was huge, and they invested millions of dollars in those suits to pretty quickly get banned. Yeah. So maybe Nike don't. But a, a good no. question is also how influential is Nike in, yeah. in the international track and field? And another question is, even if they get banned, Nike for a long time then will be remembered as the brand to develop these crazy shoes, you know? So it, it does develop some sort of, you know, image for the brand to yeah. try to be, at least try to be the most innovative brand. Mm-hmm. And I know that, for example, um, I, I talked to an Adidas representative and he told me that they were experimenting mm-hmm. with carbon plates as early as 2003. Now, I don't know when other brands were doing that. I'm sure others were doing the same thing. Um, but <coughs> but <coughs> Nike is basically now claiming to be the most innovative company out there. They've they've created a shoe, they've marketed extremely heavily so to, to a mass market, not only to elite runners. Um, and now they basically have, like this image, image is established now for a while. Yeah. And even if they get banned next year, you know, there's still 
I really believe Kipchoge is going to break two hours this weekend. Yeah. So they're going to be the brand who made Kipchoge break two hours with their shoes. Yes. And I, I don't even know, what did Roger Bannister wear when he broke four minutes a month? No one knows. But everybody is going to remember that Nike made Kipchoge break two hours. Yeah. And this is, from a marketing standpoint, incredibly invaluable. Yes, it really is. So, yeah, I mean, even if they get banned, who cares, you know? They broke two hours in it. Yeah. And I mean, looking at the big picture, you know, running is a big deal for Nike, but it's it's only one of their many yeah. channels. So yeah. investing, you know, a, a few million dollars in, in a product that gets banned, the marketing, um, I guess the benefits from the, the what you just said, mm-hmm. it's it's well worth it. It's not a huge a huge problem to them is what I'm saying. It's a, it's an enormous company with many different units of of different sports. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe that's where the where the other brands draw the line. For example, Adidas says, okay, um, you know, this is maybe a game that that is too expensive for us to play. Yeah. It's not in our interest to really to really you know burn that much cash or whatever. Yes. Because they're the the leader in, in in soccer shoes, for example, and maybe they're more willing to put more money into that because they're saying, okay, you know, soccer is a way bigger market. <laughs> yeah. Market, if you look at it that way, um, from you know at least from like an ambitious standpoint, because pe- so many people play in clubs, play competitively and whatever, and they're most likely more competitive than the person running a five k fun run yes. like once a year, sure. or running to lose weight or whatever. Yes. Um, but then again, you know, Nike was founded by basically runners. mostly runners, yeah, if not all runners. And to them, it's probably just a matter of, you know, who are we, who do we want to be? Mm. And um, for the other brands, you know, of course, smaller brands don't even have the financials to do that. I, mm. I don't see, let's say, uh, Brooks or Soconi, you know, they're doing their best to bring out their answer and to, to do research. I know, um, what's his name, Jared Ward, um, who's... I, th- I believe fifth at the Olympics in 2016 in the marathon. He's also a statistics professor sponsored by uh, Soconi and um, he's at Brigham Young University, also one of the prime running universities in the United States. And they're doing their own research to figure out um, can we produce a better shoe or, you know, is this even the best shoe? And funny thing, that uh, six guys at the NCAA Nationals in the 10,000, all of them were running the 10K on the track in standard uh, Vaporfly 4%. So I guess in their opinion they were better in spikes. Yeah, and that's also a first. It is definitely a first. It's almost laughable to think that you would wear flats in the track over yeah. spikes. Yeah, you would choose flats because yeah. you believe they're better. You know, people have done it for injury reasons and yes. this and that, but not for speed. Not, exactly. not for yeah. There was a few Australian top Australian runners running in four uh, percents uh-huh. in a in a big ten kilometer race on the track uh, late last year, uh-huh. which was a surprise to some. But yeah, so. Oh. Who knows where the line's going to be drawn? I'm quite curious to know. I am a Nike wearer fan, um, and uh, I mean, you kind of touched on it before. Like, you feel amazing running in them. Um, you mentioned that training run in the middle of uh, winter mm-hmm. uh, where you were running, you felt great. Is this? Uh, is this? You know, so, so it's a, it's a mental psychological thing. You, you you said as well, like you enjoyed that training run. You had so much fun because you were almost springing off the ground. I hope this same technology is going to be applied maybe to the normal training shoes, mm-hmm. mainly for the feeling. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything about that. But, maybe. you know, the Pegasus at the moment are a brilliant shoe. I wear them. Um, probably the most common Nike running shoe, training shoe that is. But I'm hoping that maybe they can introduce that into the trainer as well. Yeah. And so for so many years, 
when it came to to running shoes um and i actually just uh read a good book by uh, arthur ludiard mm. and um one of you know one of the classics and he was basically saying you know when we are when we are looking at shoes when we have racing shoes we want it to be light fast whatever when we're looking for training shoes we're looking for stability normally they're clunky and big the question is why is that why can't a running shoe always feel good and fast and still offer the same stability why do we make such a big difference me for example i always even i train in basically racing shoes i wear the yeah. um the um adidas um ID zero boston which have you always done that yeah i've always done that. okay and because I, I was about to point out is this contributed to the injuries but you told me yesterday you've had almost you've had pretty much no injuries yeah until yeah. this year so yeah. clearly that's not the case As, yeah. and especially in my, in my feet i've never had any issues in my feet right and um so yeah why why do training shoes you know have to feel normally so so clunky and and kind of heavy and like you say why can't a, a training shoe feel that great i mean lydiard wrote that a long time ago though so maybe it wasn't even in his mind that that was possible yeah probably not yeah. at that time because he, he, he would have written that in the 70s i guess yeah exactly yeah. so at that point in time it was very early yeah in the in the running shoe but, game yeah and now uh, you know flats for the longest time were always about okay lighter 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 yeah and now it's gone back to yes still light but not flat anymore i mean you can't really call those things a racing flat anymore because mm. they're not flat at all no um they're quite the opposite and that's the whole point and they're better better to be called a road racer yeah yeah one of the best parts about them quickly though is that because they have this 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 uh, again apologies for my lack of technical uh, uh, word here but they've got this spongy you know springy feeling i feel like and many people have also said this is they don't feel as sore mm -hmm. after the marathons and yeah. half marathons because i think there's a slightly different impact you've got more a more of yeah. a spring and a cushion yeah. I, I felt that i recovered very fast from berlin i felt like i was back to almost um, fully recovered within about six days yeah. and my previous marathons albeit not many it's taken me more like 10 to 14 most people so, say that actually uh, very light i guess or very yeah. nice on the calves is what i heard from most yes. people and mm -hmm. i have also ha i also have friends who you know consistently struggle with injuries that wear the shoe on on like a daily just because they say it keeps them healthy right which you know is kind of sounds kind of weird because the thing it does have a carbon plate in there so you think it's like okay yeah um plus originally i think nike said you could wear them for like 200 kilometers before they lose the balance but i mean i, I really don't know if that's true or not yeah that could be a strategy for them to just get more turnover though <laughs> yeah <for the> 250 <laughs> buck shoe you know absolutely yeah. or the new one is what priced at 275 yeah um and i heard Euros. rumors that the new that the brand new one is going to be priced around 325 or right. 350 the, the, the alpha yeah whatever they're going to <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean yeah and yeah the question is are they still going to be large are they going to be illegal uh, but there seems to be no lobby against it at, at this i point. haven't heard of anything i i wonder why the other brands are basically not standing up against it or or maybe they don't care maybe they're hoping you know why would we do that because we want to bring out the next thing with like five carbon plates and it could be that it could also be kind of what you said before like maybe oh, no i mean i was about to say for many of the brands maybe their nike their nike elite range is just not a big enough thing but then you know new balance and sarconi yeah. running's a big deal for them. yeah is that amazing so sarconi brooks uh, yeah running is, is there. i mean running is everything that is everything yeah so i don't know the answer
Mm. What is it? Hoka has one shoe also, the Carbon X or yeah. something, which basically follows the same thing, but it's a lot heavier um, right. because they don't have that Zoom X material, the cushion. Um, yeah, very interesting topic. Uh, it's 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 definitely for for someone you know who's who's uh, yeah obviously proudly uh, representing another brand. It, it's kind of different now. Everybody is is basically hoping that. You know, obviously, your brand is the company that brings out the next big thing, and yeah. then you're the person who basically everybody says, "Hey, you're cheating with your shoes," yeah. and basically you can say, "Nah, they're just amazing shoes." Yeah. Which you know, when 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 Adidas came out with with the Boost material, it was it was kind of a similar situation at the time. Like people were really buying into it, and they had this what was it like seventy eight or so percent energy return when you dropped like a ball on it, it bounced real high. They had it in stores everywhere. So we had normal EVA, uh, an EVA cushion and a normal and, and then a boost cushion and you could drop like uh, metal balls on it and it would bounce real high on the boost material and yeah. it was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, let me try those. And I remember wearing my first ones in college. I got one from my coach. We were bugging him for the longest time to buy us them because they were really expensive at the time. And you, you know, you slipped them on. It was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Compared to the old, like old quote unquote, uh, hard EVA material. Now you are running in this boost and um, that was great. But yeah, now the game has changed completely. So I wonder, you know, what's going to happen next? Well, I guess um, Ineos Challenge, which we already spoke about, we're not sure at the moment if they're going to wear the next percents. Kipchoge, sorry, is going to wear the next percents or the, or the new alpha percents or alpha whatever it is the, the the big black chunky ones that have been seen on his instagram account but um i guess that might give us an answer as to what's next but uh ineos challenge is in two days mm-hmm. um i'll be watching although i've heard the live stream i'll be there in vienna but i've, I've heard the uh live stream will be very very good anyways um what do you think's gonna? What do you think's gonna go down there i mean it doesn't sound like anyone's doubtful of him breaking of him not Breaking two hours. And that's so interesting because when was the last one in Monza? Two years ago? May 2017. May 2017. So almost two and a half. Everybody said, no way. Well, yeah. Some people said, yeah, he's... He, he might break two. the world record of 202.57. Yeah, say. but basically Maybe. everybody said, ah, there's no chance he's going to break two hours. And now basically everybody just expects it. Yeah. And it's so weird because we've gotten so used to these ridiculously fast times. I saw last... I saw for last year, um, the average... Ethiopian top 10 time was and really don't um, get too particular here on the seconds but it was like 204.10 or something like that mm. let it be 204.20 something like that but think about it that's the top 10 average in Ethiopia <laughs> and yes they were the fastest country measured by top 10 times Ethiopia yeah okay um, but that's just stupid fast. Yeah. I mean, I remember an old interview from, from my coach, uh, Dieter Hogan. It's not that long ago. It was in the mid-2000s. He was saying uh, at the time, that was before Paul Tegger broke the world record. He said that he's convinced that we're going to see soon the first sub-205 marathon performance and that he totally thinks it's possible. And now we're talking about five minutes faster. Yeah. And now we have an Ethiopian top 10 average of 204 low. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. How how have we gotten there? And now Kipchoge is talking about breaking sub two, and everybody expects it to happen because you know they they completely resurface the whole uh, Prata there in Vienna, which is the street where they're gonna hold the I'm gonna call it race. He has forty one paces in total. He has a pace car. He has access to uh, I think he's still drinking Morton, right? He's still drinking yes. 
more than every I think two and a half k. What what was that's how they did it last time. I, yes. I might think that I would kind of assume they stick to it. Yeah, and yeah, everybody expects it to happen, and they have this huge marketing deal. You know, Ineos, who I didn't have a clue before uh, yeah. who that was. Now everybody in the running world knows who Ineos is, which is, I guess, why they did this whole chemical stuff. company in yeah. the UK. Yeah, that's who apparently had a don't quote me. Apparently had a, a bad name exactly yeah. due to doing some uh, questionable things in the, the, their their own space, which I don't know enough about. But they've done this, from what I understand, to 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 get some more people on their side, maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't know, uh, but of course they sponsor the cycling team as well. Um, it's going to be really cool to watch. Uh, I can't. Yeah, it's going to be. A, <laughs> I mean, one thing. One thing that I keep asking is like, how? What, how many other times in the past has there been a massive event set up around one person, mm-hmm. relying on mm-hmm. one person? A friend of mine, uh, when I asked that question, pointed out, well, boxing is similar. It's two people. But mm-hmm. if one, you know, gets sick or gets injured, then the whole event's ruined. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the guy must feel some <clears throat> some pressure. You know, like... I mean, I've said it before. Kipchoge probably has the biggest balls in this whole universe. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be undefeated for such a long time and to basically perform every single time. Yeah. To the line. Yeah, he almost never runs fully. Now, one thing that I do want to talk about, and, and this might be maybe time-wise our last topic, what I thought about with, with a friend is the, the, the whole uh, doping issue. Mm. Now, think about it. Just, this is just food for thought here. Yeah. So, what if the IWF went to Kipchoge and said, okay, listen, the Ineos 159 challenge, whatever you run there, it's not a world record anyways. But for track and field, for the publicity, for the whole name of running and marathon running, this would mean everything. Like, this would be absolute history. Like, the people that are involved right now could be the ones that change the game forever. Now, what if the IWF said to Kipchoge, okay, listen, do not compete in any open races for a certain time, and you're basically going to have free game for, let's say, six months. Let's be clear that we're not, we're not hinting at anything. Absolutely it's not. Just, it's just, a, it's just yeah. a food for thought. Exactly. This is yeah. just food for thought. I... I yeah. Well, there, there's rumors about Bolt in a similar boat in yeah. the past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if it's true. No idea. No clue. No opinion either. Yeah, but, but there's there is proof that uh, what's his name, uh, Lamine Diak and and his son Papa Diak uh, have taken uh, money for what's the Russian runner, the marathon runner back in the day, uh, Shubukova. I don't remember so the name, name, but I, I forgot. Story. Yeah. Um, well, she won the the majors and she also won the. Uh, this majors uh, championship, you know, yes. when you won two in a year or whatever, over the course of one and a half years, you got this jackpot and whatnot. So she was caught with a, um, she was caught doping, I think, with EPO at the time. And they told her, okay, if you pay 250 grand, you know, we'll clear your name. Basically, it wouldn't come out. So now, of course, Sebastian Coe is a different person than I mean Diak. But the question is, what if you know, what if they basically told them, you know, for the sake of all of us, you know, basically do whatever you want, break two hours, and after that everything is back to normal. Um, because what do they honestly have to lose? Mm. You know, they only have to win. Everybody it, it is very good for the sport. Yeah, it is absolutely good for the sport. And he's not beating any competitors. No. You know, you could claim, okay, he's taken the right from someone else who could claim to be the first person to run under two hours, but... I mean, really... No one else... Re- I mean, other than Bikili, all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, no one else really looks like they could. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, Bikili is... Um, sorry, um, 
Kipchoge is such a well-liked person that I almost feel like everybody would say like, yeah, he's the best. If anybody can yeah. do it, he can do it. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. If they would say, okay, do whatever you want for half a year. It makes sense. And, and then just break the whole thing. Marathon running would be so incredibly popular for the next year or so. And, you know, if you have a sponsor like Ineos in your background, I mean... They have a... They, you know, when, when I heard about Ineos Challenge, I, I um, being quite interested in, I guess, economics, I was looking into Ineos... And they are a huge yeah. company with I with mean, a massive amount of cash in the bank. We're talking, you know, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. If they wanted to, in they, terms of free cash, they could probably so, they could probably bribe out a hundred uh, yeah. Russian marathon runners if they wanted to, yeah. and not not care about it at all. Yeah. It's it's almost it's almost like when you think too much down that rabbit hole, you start to yeah. really question. And what what a company like that could do with and their money financially track and field is still laughably small yes because you know Lamina Diak was the head of the IWF and he takes a $250,000 bribe that's peanuts in, in soccer for, for example <laughs> yeah. if you think about it yeah there would I mean some of these guys don't even you know march on the pitch for 250 grand no and those are just you know players they're yeah. not even they're not even like officials or or whatever heads of whatever yeah and you know I don't know what they paid to get the world championship to Doha, but obviously, you know, they're okay with, with taking money in, in certain situations. Now, the question is, yeah, what's going on in the background? Would, would this be a possibility? I, I really don't think so, but I just I just thought about it and I thought, hmm, like what would they really have to lose? Yeah, it's uh, another very interesting um, thought experiment. Yeah, and, and now uh, I really hope I'm really just I must point this out. I hope after this podcast, there's no like us accusing this of happening. It's just it's just a thought. No, but I, I think I briefly said this before. Like there are rumors, and I couldn't even tell you where I heard this for the first time. That 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 Bolt had a similar scenario where he was sort of given a bit of a free pass for a while. Yeah, now, I don't I don't remember where I heard that. Yeah, that's but, kind of that's kind of where I got the idea about yeah. this actually because. You know, Usain Bolt made track and field so incredibly popular for the yeah. time being that he was that he was active. Um, I was actually here at the World Championships in two thousand nine. Yeah, and um, he was at his he broke the world record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, Berlin is a track and field city. Yeah. Everybody here is is crazy about it. We have the um, the East stuff, which is one of the bigger uh, meets here in Europe. Mm. And then you know, last year we hosted European champs and this and that. So people here are quite fond of track and field, but that was on a whole nother level yeah. like when when he ran that fast and so for for many years you know bold was the name of the game and yeah. so no one could beat him and if you think about it what what was it the nine of the top 10 all-time sprinters have had some sort of um you know run-ins with some sort of doping issues yeah. not saying a positive test but some sort of suspension suspicion fail um Miss tests like Coleman or whatever, or what do they call it? Uh, filing, filing, uh, whatever. And he's the only one who never had any issues. Never, 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 ever anything. And um, his only, his only issue that he had with doping was that one of his relay buddies got caught, and so he lost the medal. Um, it's nothing to do with him personally. No, not at all. And that's just quite interesting because he was literally beating the crap out of everybody for how many years? A long time. Yeah. And, you know, why, why was that? We, we don't know. No idea. Who knows? Um, well, this has been a really interesting chat. Just quickly before we wrap this one up, because we're going to do another podcast after this about uh, people getting into, I guess, um, 
mental ruts and uh, not enjoying running anymore and uh, and and finding it difficult to improve their performance uh, mentally more than anything. That's on the next episode. But just quickly, I want to talk um, not not a paid sponsorship at all, but but Philip actually works in a company that's quite interesting for maybe some people who are listening. Um, so just a couple of minutes on that. So you've been um, helping uh, a company um, with recruiting to colleges in the US because you went to college in the US yourself. Mm-hmm. I actually went for a, for a very short period of time as well, but let's talk a little bit about about your experience. So you went to a college in the US. So I guess in 30 seconds to 60 seconds, talk a, bit, a little bit about your experience there and and then how that led you to doing this uh, this sort of side business now. Okay, yeah. Um, I went to the US in 2011 and I went with the help of a recruiting company because, you know, it's easy to get recruited if you're basically a first-string athlete. You know, if you call it um, a high school kid running at, at uh, junior world champs or whatever, you're going to get recruited by schools automatically. Yes. But if you're like a B-string runner, I ran 356 in the 1500 in, in high school, which is decent, but it's good. Nothing, nothing amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, you definitely kind of rely on the help of a recruiting agency unless you really know the ins and outs of, of college athletics. Which you're never going to know the ins and outs when you're that age. Probably not. No, you probably have no, no idea about yeah. it. And um, so I was having the time of my life in college and not only, you know, personally, but also athletically, I improved a lot. I, Where did you go? Um, I went to Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, which is, you know, there's the big Texas A&M and college I went station. To the, I went to the college station. Oh, yeah. yeah. Then, you know, you know uh, that's, that's for, for one place. semester. It wasn't for me, but I know many people that liked it. Uh-huh. Okay, you went to, I, I know the other, the other one, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a, a smaller um, yeah. university out of the system. It was yep. a, like a mid-major D1 school in a very nice, like, beachy town. I had a great time there. Met my, my, uh, my now wife. Yeah. Um, I got two degrees out of it, um, awesome. and so it's it's just it was just an amazing time. Yeah. So when I came back to Berlin, um, I talked to the owner of the company, and he actually also approached me, uh, Simon Stütze, who I also mentioned earlier about wearing vaporflies in two K reps. Yeah. And he asked me if I wanted to take over here in in uh, Berlin and especially like East Germany to basically meet clients or prospects in person to tell them all the ins and outs, and then. Um, basically inform them about what's going on and if they choose to work with us yes. you know then they would be basically our business partners and so what we do for these kids is not only get them offers because that's like basically the smallest part of, of the whole situation mm-hmm. the biggest thing is getting them eligible with the NCAA or the NAIA which is the other basically yeah, sports um, how do you want to call it uh, sports association yes. in college athletics yeah. and so you need to get them eligible. You know, some of these kids don't have the cleanest resumes. They sit out a year, they go work, they do an apprenticeship. There's craziest things. And um, most kids then, if they apply at the NCAA, they're going to say, boom, ineligible. But there's, there's a few locals, there's ins and outs where you, you know, even if you don't have a straight resume, you can still get through. And then you also need visas. You need to write college applications. You need to do um, admissions tests like the SAT and for non-native uh, speakers also the TOEFL test where those recruiting agencies can offer preparation for example so you score higher um, in these tests and maybe even get academic scholarships Yes. and the biggest thing really here is to keep tabs of all these things that need to be done and have the expertise in that it's a big process absolutely. I, I remember going through it absolutely it's not easy and it, it takes about a year. You can do it in less, but um, about a year to two years is, is really good timing. And most people really think you have to be a world beater to get a scholarship in college. And that's not true at all. Mm. And that's so unfortunate 
because there's not only full scholarships, you know, even, even partial scholarships work great for most kids. You, you will pay most of the time less or equal of what you would pay at home, but you don't go the standard route. You know, you get to compete as an ex at an extremely high level. You get all your athletic situations figured out. You get physiotherapy, you, you get your gear, you get travel, you get the coaching, you know, especially for tennis and golf players. That's huge because they, they need private coaches. And um, one of the big things, maybe this doesn't so much apply to Germany because Germany's got quite a strong culture in terms of like uh, track teams. But in many countries, there's not that culture yeah. so much. So many kids find they lose motivation exactly. when they're 19, 20, 21 because they've got no support crew around them. They've mm -hmm. got no coach. They've got no good team. And college just completely solves yeah. that. Yeah. Like you've got you've, – you've, you've, you basically just walk into an amazing environment yeah. most exactly. of the time. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And most people think you have to be really, really good, but realistically... Yeah, you mentioned yesterday you, you, you've helped some kids that yeah. are nowhere near sort of that elite junior level. Exactly. We had we had guys that ran 36, 37 minutes get Ten, partial 10K. scholarships in, in the 10K, yeah? And uh, as a girl, as a girl, it's extremely fortunate because there's a few rules, uh, affirmative action rules, you know, like basically um, that help girls to get more scholarships. And so if you're a girl running around 20 minutes in the 5k you have really good chances of getting a full scholarship that means food that means rent that means books that means tuition yeah. you're literally training which you were doing anyways and racing and you get literally everything for free and it's important to understand like again full disclosure this is not a this is not a paid sponsor i just found it very interesting when we spoke about it yesterday when we were preparing for this uh podcast is it's important to understand like the saving that you could have over, over a four-year degree is is in the tens to possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars or mm -hmm. euros. And and the fee you guys charge, which is a it's a two to one to two year process, is a cut is a is three a range from three thousand to eight thousand euros, depending on you know how much you want to contribute also right. with your own time or how much you want us to do. That's sure. You know, everybody has different expectations and different standards. So, so really we cater to that. I felt it was important to highlight that that when you look at the fee up front of of um of Scholarbook, mm -hmm. that's the official name of the business, mm -hmm. and it's in English as well, if people want to exactly. yeah, websites in English. So if you Google Scholarbook, you'll you'll find it. It's important to understand and, and, and compare the saving over a full degree mm. as opposed to the, the fee that, that, that you pay to use the service. Because at first, that fee may, may seem expensive, mm -hmm. but then if you look at it, well, I'm actually going to save $200,000 in four years. Exactly. All of a sudden, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge saving. And it's not like you're paying for a vacation. This is a degree that you're getting in the course of four years. Yeah. This is something that lasts forever. This is something that's going to set you up for your future career. Yeah. And so a lot of people know... Yeah, that's a great, great point. It doesn't end there, does it? Exactly. Yeah. If, if, uh, if you finish your bachelor's degree at most universities in the business field, they tell you, go get an MBA from a good business school. Yeah. Well, a good MBA normally costs somewhere from, I don't know, 50 to 250,000 euros. Yeah. And they tell you, don't worry about it. You're going to have that doubled out within five years because you're going to score a good job. Yeah. And kind of the same applies. If you get a good education in the States, yeah, it's an upfront investment, but think about it. A lot of kids these days do exchange years in high school. I mean, you're from Australia. Mm. Most German kids end up in Australia or the United States yeah. for exchange years. Yeah. A US exchange year, or in Australia for that matter, costs normally with an agency from 12 to 15 grand. Mm. And this is a high school year. You don't get any degree out of it. You're having a good time. So mm. that's fun. You learn the language. You learn the culture. It's all great. But here we're talking about college, not just one year, four mm. years, possibly longer if you, you know, get the chance to get a master's degree. And um, so that's a huge deal. And 
one big thing that especially coaches here often say is, yeah, but what if they get injured? What if they don't improve? Now think about it. Take a sample of 50 athletes that didn't go over. How many of them improved? How many of them continued running? How many of them stayed healthy? You can get injured anywhere. You cannot improve anywhere. But what's really the worst that could happen out of a US college trip? You could come home with a bachelor's degree, have the time of your life for four years, meet people all across the world, get to travel to Seattle, New York City, Los Angeles, whatever, get to study in a place that you got to pick. Maybe even find a wife. Maybe even find a wife. <laughs> I get mean, it. What, what is there to lose, literally? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, we're talking about worst case scenario here. You're right. Whereas worst case scenario here is... Yeah, exactly. Take yeah. all those things away and you still get injured. People always expect that if they don't change the environment, they're gonna, you know, things are going to keep going positively, for example. Yeah, which Unless is a, they're really in a rut. Which is, a, I, don't, I forget the name of that sort of psychological issue but it's like yeah. a, it's biased firstly but it's something there's another name for it exactly so interesting people yeah. people that do well here you know they, i talk to their coaches sometimes and they're like yeah but like i heard all these horror stories they burn the kids out and whatnot so i'm not saying that this has never happened before or yeah. still still you know it still happens but i know stories on both sides exactly yeah i know one friend in australia who uh so i was 800 meter runner focusing on um before I went to Texas a and and he was uh, 150, and in his first year, ran 146 over there. <laughs> yeah. Didn't improve from then, but even still, 146 alone yeah, is, is, exactly. is like very elite. Who knows if so, he would have ever gotten to that, you yeah. know, or who knows what would have happened. I just yeah. know that most kids who, who come out of high school in Germany, they keep going for a few more years, you know, maybe have to get a side job, try to go to university. Yeah. If they're good enough, they might go to like those police or military groups to where they actually can become full-time athletes. But most people struggle while running and studying. Yeah. And in the United States, you're not gonna you're not gonna struggle with that issue at all because everything is just so streamlined. You are basically an employee of, of the university, so you have the same rights as an employee. If you have a, if you have a, some sort of exam, you know you're gonna be exempt, or you take it earlier or later or whatever. Yeah. They're gonna figure out a way for you to handle everything. So that's why, unless you're really an absolute elite athlete. And even then, you know, you're still going to get better offers through an agency, mm. even then. So it's really still worth it. And um, I mean, if, it doesn't have to be necessarily with us, but if, if you want to look into it, the Scholar Book is the name. Um, we offer like a free chance evaluation to where you, yeah. you just sign up, put in your PBs or whatever, your successes, and they'll give you basically send you over um, some sort of evaluation of, you know, how high could your scholarship be. So right. there's no strings attached, really. Just gives you an idea, okay, am I actually good enough? Yes. Those kind of things. So if you're interested in, in that idea, obviously you, you, you probably would have to be between 16 and... Um... There is no real age limit, but but it gets a little bit harder as you get into mid twenties, doesn't yeah. it? You can still do that because, for example, in in Division Two and right. and uh, and NAI, the rate the age uh, requirements are not as strict. Mm -hmm. D one it gets a little bit trickier, but you know you could still go to grad school if you already got a bachelor's degree. Yep. Um, there again, it really helps to have an agency that helps you with this because they know all the ins and outs about yeah. it. And there is a lot of rules. Yeah, a lot but of hurdles. For example, I have a buddy of mine who you know who really did not have a clean resume. And um, he now basically figured out with my help that he still has um, three years of D2 eligibility. Mm. And he's, he's already, uh, how old is he? 
25 or so. So, yeah. you know, he thought, no way in hell I can go to the States. But yeah, he can. Wow. It, it works out. There you go. That's because a great story. There's, there's so many loopholes that people don't know about. Right. That and that's where, you're, that's where the biggest value is, isn't there? Really? Exactly. I mean, there's plenty of value in the, in the in scholar books. Okay, well, let's wrap this episode up. That was a really interesting chat. Um, Philip Barr is best contacted on Instagram. Probably on Instagram, yeah. Um, I don't really do Facebook. I try to keep that fairly private. But yeah, yeah on Instagram... Um, and you can... your handle is, I mean, you're searching your name and it's, it's B-A-A-R. Yeah, B-A-A-R. And, yeah. and uh, my first name, Philip, P-H-I-L-I-P-P. Yep. And I uh, mean, people will find the link in the show notes, the, exactly. the but if you're just listening yeah. to this... So, um, so if any, if that uh, sort of college, USA college idea is interesting, um, send Philip a message on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also, if you want to see more photos of his cat, follow him on Instagram too. Because it's a, it's a, <laughs> no, I really appreciate having you on. We're going to do another podcast, as I've said a couple of times, straight after this. Um, and thank you to everyone for, for listening in. Thank you.